had a lot of uh, a lot of praise for the fight directions that took place. I know there's been a lot of conversation about specifically American action movies and, and fight movies having an absolutely absurd number of cuts mm-hmm. during during a, a filming process where you, to the point you can't really tell what's going on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is nice watching an action movie where the two people fighting have choreographed and look like they're actually fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of movie where two people will encounter each other with guns, put their guns down so that they can, you know, have a fist fight with really impressive <laughs> martial arts choreography, where on one hand it's like, well, that's dumb they didn't just shoot each other, but it's also like, well, I'm glad they didn't shoot each other because I kind of like that fight scene in the water. Hi, and welcome back to The Plot, a podcast on writing and how our words and stories are shaping the world. I'm Sean Douglas, I'm an arts journalist, podcaster, and teacher, and it's good to be back with season two of this show. This will likely be a shorter season, and with so many things shut down these days, it's been a little harder to find new work, especially new plays, to frame episodes around, but there is still plenty to talk about, and I look forward to sharing a variety of interesting guests and conversations with you over the next few weeks. Now, the big question with making a show about writing and social issues right now in 2020 was naturally, how much are we going to allude to COVID-19 or not? Is it better to talk about it because it is the obvious elephant in the room impacting people's careers right now? Or is it so omnipresent and so likely to date these episodes to some degree for future listeners that it would be better to focus on other things or even just ignore it? I've decided to go the route of discussing it thoroughly in this first new episode since the pandemic began, and then hopefully to allude to it less or more incidentally in the episodes to come. So today we're talking about international film and television, and how the pandemic could be permanently changing people's streaming habits in a way that benefits foreign artists. I'm joined once again by my friend Lauren McCrimmon, a frequent co-producer on this show, and particularly we wanted to talk about The Prey, the first Cambodian film to receive distribution on Netflix. During college, Lauren and I were both part of a group that taught English in Cambodia for several weeks, and she has since spent even more time there. So when I had the opportunity to screen and review this film prior to its release, I knew she would be the perfect person to include for that. The Prey, which has been described as Cambodia's first action blockbuster, is directed by Jimi Henderson, an Italian-born filmmaker formerly based in London. Henderson's other work includes Run, Hanuman, The Forest Whispers, and the award-winning Jailbreak, films that helped develop the action, horror, and martial arts genres for Cambodia's growing film industry. While we don't officially review The Prey with our conversation, and as a pulpy action film there's not too much to analyze plot-wise, we'll still share our thoughts on it and consider what Netflix's promotion of it means for the future U.S. presence of films from lesser-known global markets. We'll also look back on our country's history of both embracing and ignoring foreign films, other international content we've been enjoying lately, and how anime may have been responsible for a generational shift in people's willingness to watch subtitled content. This isn't the heaviest episode we've ever done, but it was a fun one, and I hope it offers a look at how our new pandemic lifestyles may be influencing film and television in a way you hadn't considered. So, let's get started. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hey, Sean. Doing good. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Yeah, we're back for a second season. Yeah, surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Hopefully not that much of a surprise. <laughs> That's a good surprise. That's we good were one. picked up again by ourselves. <laughs> I'm glad we, you know, weren't as strict with ourselves when you know, cut us off at the first season. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, you know, it's all Netflix has been doing recently and canceling shows left and right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So speaking of Netflix, we are yeah. in the middle of the coronavirus still. And even though that's sort of what most people are talking about, it's kind of hard to do a show about art and writing without mentioning the fact that there is less of it right now. <laughs> and the way you access that right now is usually through streaming. Not a lot of theater to talk about right now that isn't streamed. Not a lot of films and yeah. theaters. Fortunately, we still have books and video games. Um, but for this episode, we thought we'd talk a little about just some of the, the streaming habits that people have right now and how they're affecting uh, the general industries um, surrounding them. Specifically, the fact that all of this new streaming might also be affecting um, Americans' interest in international work, which is something I think we both found kind of interesting. And in digging into the subject, it did look like, well, it didn't seem like we could find any direct facts that confirmed this. It does seem like the coronavirus is increasing the consumption of international content for the American streaming audience. Does that seem about right from what, what you've been looking at, too? Yeah, at least from uh, the few articles that I found that have talked about streaming habits during COVID, which have uh, dramatically shot up. Do you have the numbers for that, um, um, kind of the metrics? I do have something where Netflix um, has reported that in 2017, the, um, the percent of their viewers who had watched international content was at 30%. And at the end of 2019, it was up to 50%. So I'm guessing that by now, that would be a lot higher. Like if there's some kind of rate at which it was increasing, like that rate would have spiked up more, just as people yeah, are and consuming I will say, more. At least anecdotally speaking, people I've talked to have definitely been watching more foreign television and movies mm -hmm. since COVID started. I think a lot of it also has to do with people being stuck at home, you know, not working or maybe working from home beyond in the background. And eventually you do hit the end of Netflix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Netflix in general has been putting out more not, not just Netflix, too, but Amazon Prime and Hulu and uh, other streaming sources that you can get have been putting out more uh, localized content from other countries and, and giving more of an access to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's sort of a running joke, like, oh, it's the coronavirus. Everyone's watching so much Netflix. But I think and that is true. <laughs> yeah, but it's still true. Uh, they're doing Very that or they're so. playing Animal Crossing. Um, uh, sometimes at the same time. Yeah. And, but I think it is interesting that those things are actually structurally changing the television industry and Absolutely. actually maybe helping to develop, um, just the, the film industries in other countries more. And it's creating a demand that didn't previously exist. Like right now, other countries yeah. consume a lot more American content, um, than Americans are consuming their content. It is not a reciprocal thing entirely. Um, I think you can speak a lot better. Of it also, go ahead. Has to do with uh, with just Hollywood being as, as large as it is. Mm -hmm. It's a huge dominating industry in the U.S. and in terms of 
producing films mm-hmm. and television. And well, a lot of countries do have, you know, quite robust television and film industries as well. It's kind of hard to compete with how much content is being produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you used to live in South Korea. Um, and we were yeah. talking before this how you did not lack for American content while you were there. No, there were, uh, if you went out to the theaters, I would say about, you know, 70% of the movies that were out there were uh, in Korea foreign films. So, mm-hmm. you know, films from U.S. or, or uh, like other English-speaking countries, mostly U.S. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of creating this demand that didn't exist before. Like Americans used to, I like I think to some degree, like, we find novelty in our lives by going out and experiencing things. And I wonder to what degree people have now sought out novelty in their lives um, and ways to interrupt their own sort of personal you know, life stasis by instead just seeking out content that they wouldn't normally right. watch. Not even just kind of like, a, oh, what else is on? But like, I want to have a new experience. I will watch something that, that is more escapist than I would, what I would normally watch. Yes. I do wonder how much of that is because some of these shows are being promoted more on, uh, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime on the home pages. Because mm-hmm. there has been, you know, the they will highlight certain television shows or movies that have come out, but and more people are, you know, likely to click on those to watch them than to dig through content in Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or what have you. Mm-hmm. I do wonder how much they're pushing towards some of that. Yeah. Um, There's one example that we did want to highlight in this episode. I guess highlight is perhaps a strong word. Um, (laughs) But we recently got a screener for a new Cambodian film. And um, both of us have actually taught English in Cambodia before. So I thought that you would be a good person to watch that movie with. Um, and I thought it was very exciting that Cambodia is now producing action blockbusters. Like their film industry is having an interesting um, sort of period of growth and expansion. So we watched uh, The Prey, which is Netflix's first Cambodian film. It's by a, a British director named Jimmy Henderson. And I think they pulled it off. I don't think either one of us were like wowed by it exactly. But I think as far as this sort of goofy action movies are concerned like not something particularly deep i wouldn't say that it was any better or worse than i don't know kind of mediocre but not bad action movies that any other country might have produced which is in itself kind of a compliment (laughs) yeah i uh had very strong feelings when i first watched the movie (laughs) letting it mellow out a bit i do appreciate it it's uh if you're looking for something just to throw on just for something different having that there that option of you know let's watch an action movie but i want it to be set in cambodian by uh, you know include you know cambodian actors in there and just having that highlighted is really nice Mm -hmm. yeah i think there's something about like the production value of it like the sort of the general like sensibility about it i was very pleased with i feel like you know the plot was nothing great necessarily or anything like that. Um, and I don't want to sound like we're, we're bashing this movie that I actually found entertaining to watch. 
Um, oh, no. But just as, as far as highlighting something, you know, it's a guarded, it's not really a recommendation. It's a, it's guarded praise for something that was like, okay, you know, like, hey, they pulled that off. That's cool that, that Cambodia is now doing that. And it's getting picked up by places like Netflix and it's getting consumed by an international audience. So I think that's really exciting, right? Like it's cool that yeah, the world can embrace their work. Nice to have countries be able to, and you know people to be able to tell their own stories versus mm-hmm. i feel like cambodia is always in american movies as a backdrop for war movies <laughs> and things like that you know that are telling stories about most probably white american males mm-hmm. and so it's nice having a movie that's highlighting cambodia with you know cambodian like actual Cambodians telling their story. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like they really had fun with it. Even if it's just kind of a goofy yeah. movie about a prison warden hunting people in the in the jungle, um, it is exactly what it says it is in the box. I think they had fun with it. I think there were good fight scenes. I think there were good action scenes. Um, I think it Oh it yeah, the speaks action to... was, was great. I think mm-hmm. we, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of praise for the fight directions that took place. I know there's been a lot of conversation about specifically American action movies and, and fight movies having an absolutely absurd number of cuts mm-hmm. during during a, a filming process where you, to the point you can't really tell what's going on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is nice watching uh, an action movie where the two people fighting have choreographed and look like they're actually fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of movie where two people will encounter each other with guns, put their guns down, so that they can, you know, have a fist fight with really impressive martial arts choreography, where on one hand it's like, well, that's dumb they didn't just shoot each other, but it's also like, well, I'm glad they didn't shoot each other, because I kind of like that fight scene in the water. So if you're looking for something like that, I think the prey um, will be pretty good for you, you know, if you if you keep your expectations in check. Um, you know, the prey is not the next parasite, <laughs> It's not the next, you know, international sensation. It's not the, it's not the, uh, they're going to sweep the Oscars, but you are going to have fun with it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's what it is. And, but I think what it represents in some ways is almost more significant than, than the film itself, which again, isn't, you know, isn't meant to be a backhanded compliment. To see uh, what's going to be coming out of not only Cambodia, but you know, other developing film industries as well. Mm-hmm. And so with that, you're getting the you know, stories told in a different way and, and things that are shot a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Parasite, I think that that was as talked about as it has been. You know, I think that did prove to a lot of American viewers that you can enjoy international movies and that they can be accessible because um, I think there are people that are just kind of skittish about them and need, like, not that the, that movie doesn't need American validation to be a good movie, but for certain viewers, they would have just never encountered that if it hadn't gotten the publicity that it got in certain channels. Oh, absolutely. And that is interesting. You know, we were had done um, a bit of research before recording this podcast about American consuming foreign films and coming with it was what, you know, 50s and 60s, there was quite a large number of, of foreign films that were being, you know, shown in theaters and that, you know, were popular in America during that time. Mm-hmm. They were just showing something different mm-hmm. than what was happening 
you know, they weren't getting that content in, in American-produced films. And so hopefully we're kind of switching back over to that a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reading those older articles, it is funny to listen. Like, they, like they're very insightful, but there is a certain quaintness to them kind of speaking about, like, French films as being sort of exotic and risque and sort of like, ooh, those movies over there. That If Americans want to see that kind of content, they might have to watch a foreign film. And I feel like that is definitely not really the relationship that people have with foreign movies anymore. Um, right. And it's, so it's definitely been in decline. And even in the 2010s, that was still reported that it's it was in the decline. And now we're seeing an uptick, which is very interesting, like that we're on the rise in, in international consumption now for the first time in decades. That's exciting. It's interesting to see what that will lead to. It is exciting. Yeah. And uh, I, think it'll, I think it'll be nice having just, you know, different content available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get out of that that Western lens all the time or that American lens all the time. So have you been watching international things during your time um, in quarantine? I guess not quarantine or your time in social isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have been actually quite a bit, probably more so than I have in a while Mm -hmm. because I feel like I have the time to, to sit down and, and fully immerse myself into something. Mm-hmm. So recently it has been Korean dramas, which for me is more so studying, keeping up with the language than it is, you know, anything new with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's been a bit of foreign horror films as of late. So we found that's been really fun. I've gotten together with friends over Discord to watch movies. And uh, Netflix has quite a large selection of foreign horror films. Mm-hmm. And we found out that those are some of the best ones to watch over uh, Discord because you have all the subtitles there already. You can continue to talk while not missing anything with the movie. Mm-hmm. And just get something a little bit different. Something mm-hmm. to fun. Yeah. So are there ones that you would maybe, again, like recommend is a strong word and everybody is just sort of inundated with recommendations all the time right now. But are there ones that you want to call attention to that people might want to seek out if they so chose? Sure. So I will say the last one that I watched uh, was called Shudder, which is a Thai horror film from 2004, I believe. And that was just fun. It was was just a fun movie to watch. Is this like campy horror? Is this like, I don't know, more like scary horror? There's definitely some moments that will freak you out, and uh, it's, you know, it's not a traditional campy horror movie, you know, it's from 2004, so there's definitely some moments that are unintentionally funny, Mm -hmm. Um, but but it is quite good, and I I really did enjoy that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will put out there, uh, there are some content warnings on it, so if you're... um, Thinking about watching it, do do a little bit of research into the movie first to make sure it's something that you're comfortable watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, depictions of rape, which might be mm-hmm. a bit uncomfortable if you're not expecting it. It does kind of come up nowhere in the movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else? So I did watch Alive, which is a Korean zombie movie, uh, which is actually pretty apropos to current situations around the world where you know, a guy is stuck in his apartment 
well, a zombie apocalypse has taken place and he needs to figure out how to get out. But he's essentially quarantined inside of his apartment. Hmm. Uh, and this one is actually a bit unique in that it was it is was released in 2020. It was released in South Korea in hmm. June. Interesting. Was it in theaters? Yes, it was released in theater. Uh, it did actually get quite a number of people in. And then pretty much as soon as it released, uh, Netflix kind of scooped up the rights and, and threw it on Netflix in uh, early September. So if you're looking for a zombie horror movie to get you through October, live. Mm, yeah. I feel like South Korea would handle a zombie outbreak probably better than the United States would. <laughs> I feel like this might just be a good educational thing, too. Do they wear their masks? Um, you know what? I don't think they do. So, yeah, mostly it's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of horror movies, which I, which I enjoy watching foreign horror movies quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you been watching in terms of foreign content? Mm-hmm. So I feel like for me, like this absence of like theater and some of the other things I do has been more replaced by video games than by TV. Um, But as far as the TV that I've been watching, I guess playing video games counts as consuming foreign content. (laughs) Nintendo is Nintendo is foreign content. Um, Arc System works. Um, But as far as foreign TV that I've been consuming, that is not really something I would have normally done. Um, my brother and his wife have gotten me into some like British and Scottish shows. So I've been watching a lot okay. of British panel shows. So there are things that some of which I had heard of before and some of which are new to me. Um, and just like trying some of the different, I guess I'd never realized how big the panel show was in in the UK. Like in the United States, we have game shows, but I don't feel like there's quite as many of these just kind of like, let's have some personalities on to just kind of banter or play parlor games with each other. But yeah, I like that concept I a lot. Like that's that is sorely missing from American television. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad that I've kind of dug into this world now because I'm finding things that I like in it. Uh, I think the one that we've been enjoying the most is Would I Lie to You, which is a show okay. that has um, David Mitchell from Peep Show and Lee Mack, who's another British comedian. And the show is based on the contestants getting they they pick a card. They each have some teams with some other celebrities on them, and they'll pick a card that has some statement about them on it that might be true and might be false. And they have to convince the other side that it is true, no matter what it says. And they're seeing it for the first time. So they might be put on the spot to just have to start making up this elaborate story about how whatever is on the card is actually a true thing about themselves. And it's just very entertaining to watch them get like caught in their lies or have to come up with these really elaborate explanations for things. So someone might draw a card that says something like, When I was a child, I thought my life was a story being read by a bear. And as soon as he closed the book, I would die. And then the other team has to figure out whether, as a child, this person actually thought his life was a book being read by a bear. (laughs) And so it just leads to very absurd conversations. There's always a round where they have a guest come on where everyone has to say, this is my, and then say what their connection is to the guest. And they have to guess, like, who is the right connection to it. So it's like, this is so-and-so. When she was a child, I dropped her in a pond. Or this is so-and-so. He and I are studying telekinesis together. And then they have to explain how that is true, even though it's probably not true. Because most of the time it's not. 
And it just leads to very absurd conversations and really good monologues that are just very okay. funny. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see just how how the coronavirus ends up affecting foreign films, like whether we continue to see this kind of demand. I did do sort of an informal poll with my Twitter followers and people I know on Facebook and just saying, like, do you watch foreign things? Do you mind subtitles? Or like, if you don't watch foreign things, what are your barriers to it? And nearly everyone who replied, and I heard back from maybe like 15 to 20 people, and uh, most people did. And I feel like that also kind of just reflects the circles that I'm in, that most people are willing to watch foreign things. Right. I think a lot of it ends up coming down to subtitles in terms of people wanting to do something else while TV's on in the background or wanting to pay full attention to the show and not having to read subtitles. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see kind of differences between uh, and I do, I do wonder if, if, you know, Netflix and Amazon and, and Hulu and other streaming services have the data available on what percentage of people watch shows with subtitles versus dubbed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of the people who the responded to me said that they wouldn't watch things that were dubbed. I don't know that anyone wanted things that were dubbed, which I thought okay. was interesting. I have talked more, I think, with older relatives who would prefer dubs, like uh, something that is something that is dubbed over something that is subtitled, mm -hmm. just in terms of it being easier to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. yeah. That might be a, a generational thing as well, not sure. And I thought it was interesting too that a lot of the respondents said that the foreign content they consume is anime. And for a lot of people, they will consume anime, but they haven't really watched a lot of other international content. I'm kind of going back between mm -hmm. saying foreign content and international, because I don't want foreign to sound like it's too too much implies that it is, like, other. Oh, right. Yeah, um, oh, yeah stick with international. Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm kind of using those synonymously, but I don't want that to sound disrespectful in any way. Um, but I feel yeah, like for our generation... Exactly. <laughs> I feel like for our generation, anime might have been sort of... Even though I don't necessarily, like, watch that much anime myself, I'm at least, like, really... Nor was It's, like, a very normal thing, even when I was younger. Like, it's... This idea yeah, that there would I mean, be international you could stuff. Watch it on TV. Yeah, you could find it, and you could even find you know, subtitled versions on TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I feel like maybe our generation was the first one that really had that level of foreign content really normalized for them in that way. I'm not sure how much anime there was in like Generation X. Yeah, that I'm not sure. I feel like it must it might have been harder to get. Mm -hmm. But that too comes down to um, getting content from Japan can be quite difficult. Mm -hmm. It's prohibitively expensive <laughs> to yeah. purchase any sort of of box set or CD, and not a lot of it is available easily. And so it, it is nice having that on streaming services. It really opens that up a bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seems like anime is maybe a bit of a kind of gateway drug into the world of foreign content for a lot of people. And I'm not sure how much it necessarily increases their consumption otherwise, but it must be doing something. So, right. you know, good for anime for doing that. That was our conversation on The Prey, an American's increasing interest in international content. 
The Prey is available on Netflix, and you can find links to all the films and TV shows we mentioned in the description for this episode. The plot is a production from me, Sean Douglas, Lauren McCrimmon co-produced, and the credits theme music is by Tan Chong Yu. If you like this show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you know anyone else you think might like this show, please also consider recommending it or sharing it online where more people can discover it. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Sean Douglas underscore and the show at The Plot Podcast. That's all for today. Thanks for listening.